Again, happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads in the house. Um, we do nifty little special gifts for the moms, and not just the moms, but the ladies. We have the cool uh, butterfly um, sort of decorative soap. Guys, you you get uh, to be a part of the family of God and have everybody love you today. That's what you get in today right here um, because we're not giving you a decorative bar of soap with a butterfly on it. But, yeah, yeah, you might need to borrow that bar of soap, but... <laughs> I'm just going to just say that that was a really nice little smell good bar of soap and it ain't strong enough for me or you, okay? We need some little better stuff than that, a little stronger. But know this, all jokes aside, that you're, you're deeply appreciated and incredibly valued and that it is the home that is the first critical institution of the kingdom. And as the heads of your house, I know we as a leadership team, we pray for you. And we pray for your families. And we believe that the church is as strong as the families in the church. And families extend past the traditional unit. We know that. There are, there are many of you who are here that your families are either far away or, or maybe you don't have a living father or a connection with your immediate family, but you're part of this family. And so there are fathers. Hear what I'm going to say. There are fathers in the house. And nobody needs to be fatherless. And then, of course, there's the father. <laughs> Let me keep pointing to him. And that's, that's, that's a powerful truth and reality. And so, fathers, whether you have your own children or not, you hear what I'm saying? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Uh, you're, you're deeply appreciated and highly valued, uh, not only in God's kingdom, but certainly here in dwelling place. And Father's Day is such a... It's such a great opportunity not only to honor our earthly fathers, and I've said that already, but really to honor our heavenly father. Because uh, God set an example and a pattern in the home, but we know that we don't always live up to that pattern. But that doesn't change the one for and of whom that, that pattern comes from whom, I suppose I'm trying to say. Um, the original, if you will. <laughs> um, the unedited right, and perfect version of fathering comes from the throne of grace and from the heart of God. And um, and it's interesting to me, though, that when we follow that model, how powerful the home can be. Let me, uh, let me step out of this, this document real quick. I'm going to jump over here and just read you a, a quick quote from a, a sermon that was preached by Robert Lee, uh, Robert G. Lee, not to be confused with Robert E. Lee. They didn't live at the same time, right? But Robert G. Lee... Uh, from a sermon that he spoke um, entitled The Influence of Christian Home. And it was, interestingly enough, it was published by Zondervan in 1941. But he said this, The overproduction of spiritually immature Christians is traceable to the absence of great homes. Great homes are necessary to produce great men. And this is what I like what he said about this. He said, Whether the home be a cabin on a hill, a tent by the riverbank. We've had some people live in a tent by a riverbank before. A cottage by the roadside, or a mansion on the boulevard, even a farmhouse amid far-reaching acres in Christian households is the hope of America. And then he said this, that even the child who does not respect the authority of parents will not respect the authority of God and the powers that be when he comes to manhood or, or womanhood. Just the point that he was making, the significance of the Christian home. I think we're so blessed. We're so blessed here in Dwelling Place to have so many Christian homes. Now I'm going to back up again because I don't want anyone to feel left out. The beauty of that is that we call this the family room. 
And the beauty of that is this, that whether you have a direct connection to a godly home, maybe your earthly heritage hasn't been so godly, but I've heard Robbie say countless times he's spoken about fathers in his life, people that God has put in his life that have influenced him. And now I look at, at the Maddox household and I see, right? I see the heritage that, that God gives when we follow him and when we, when we have his heart. And I want you to know, though, that maybe for you, maybe sometimes for us, this is a bit of an aside. I'm going to get into this word in a second. But I want you to understand that, that a part of what it means to be family in God's house right, and in God's world is that we're, there's no exclusivity. You know what? There's not just the Bernard house. Now, I will admit that Isaac and Jacob have a, a little maybe deeper point of connection and uh, maybe even a higher level of tolerance in the way that they live and interact in our home. But, but our door's open and our family's huge. I mean, we've been ridiculously blessed, and there are a lot of people that are a part of our family. And I'm asking you, as, as a family, as a dwelling place, to invite people to be a part of your lives and a part of your home. It's the beauty of the interaction that makes us so strong. And I do believe this. I believe ultimately that um, the church right, is the hope of our world. I believe that. I believe in the church. Church. I'm a believer in the church. But I believe the church is meant to be a home. Not just a house. It's not just a building with a, you know, uh, here's the church. Was that little thing we used to do? Let me see if I can still do that. Here's the church and here's the steeple. Look inside and see all the people. Man, you got to be a little bit old to remember that from VBS, though. All right. But the church... Is so much more than a building. Here's my um, point of reference for that, because in our world, right, there's a pretty big difference between a house, right? Everybody in here can finish my sentence, Rick. They're waiting for me with bated breath. There's a big difference between a house and a home. And I've been to some of your houses. And I've experienced that they are, in fact, a home. And here's my point in that, that the house of God is meant to be a, it's a home. Family. We're family. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, with all that we are, and sometimes we're a pretty big mess, right? But we're family. Non-negotiably, unapologetically. This is what I believe. This is what I live. This is why we're safe together. Doesn't mean we don't ever butt heads, but we are. We're family. Now, here's the reality in that. You know, one of the things I love about Africa, and for all of its issues, and it has big issues, right? Even though when we go in the bush, you know, it's an interesting thing because there are so many orphans, which is a, which is a tragedy. What you won't see, though, one pattern that won't work in ministering to orphans in Africa is orphanages. Institutions won't, they, they won't produce, you know this, Shalene. Orphanages don't give kids an opportunity to, to grow healthy into the culture that they'll live in because they're raised in, they're raised in a village. 
So a kid may be an orphan, and I, and I don't want you to think that, that what I'm about to say means that they're not at risk. And there are some kids who are tremendously at risk, and some kids who aren't orphaned are at greater risk than some kids who are orphaned. Because even orphans in Africa, for the most part, they have aunties and uncles, and they might not have all the advantages of someone who isn't orphaned, but they're, no one's or at least rarely ever is anyone just left abandoned on the street. And I shouldn't say that that doesn't happen. In fact, the great tragedy is that often tiny babies are abandoned in some places. But family units that work together. And I I just believe this, that that should be more true in the church than in any other place. That that representation of no one need be orphaned should be more true in the church than in any other, any other culture, if you will. That the church isn't supposed to just be a house. But it's meant to be a home. I'd like us to consider that that relationship by contrasting the difference even in our own world between a house and a home. In fact, here's my premise. That there is a lot of difference between a house and a home. And that that's not only in tr- true in terms of our own families, but also in reference to the family of God. And how we as children, right, relate to one another and to the Father, because that's really what I want to get at today. Proverbs 3.33 says, The Lord curses the house of the wicked, but He blesses the dwelling, or literally the home, of the upright. Now, in this passage in Proverbs, the delineation isn't at all about the type of structure. It's not. There's no conversation here, connection with the kind of structure, but rather it's the interactions of the people who live in that, in that structure, whether they are evil or upright. And and a house. When we think of a house, we think in terms of the things that we can build with a hand. We think we think about mortar or brick or or um, dirt and sticks, depending on where you live in the world. But hey, home is a term that describes not just the place where we live, but the place where we relate to those we consider family. Whether that's again a biological unit or not, there are people here. You're you're out of out of your home, but you live with some guys, some girls. Come on, Misty, and that's home for you right now. That's home. You know, I used to say, uh, I used to kind of almost even say, home is where your heart is, and that's true. Home is also where your stuff is. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've been on the road, we've been with a lot of family, but we were glad to get back to our stuff. But what makes that place a home for us, right? is the relationships we have with each other. And I can say that to you frankly, because Karen and I, honestly, I grew up in the same house. I mean, I we moved into the house I grew up in when I was one and a half years old, and I lived there till I got married. I mean, I was in and out for college and dorm rooms and apartments and that kind of thing. But that my the bulk of my stuff stayed in my room till I got married. And in fact, I left some of it behind. And when I was away that summer at, at uh, on some military um, deployment, my mom and dad moved, and I didn't get my stuff back. They purged my stuff for me. I had a really cool hubcap collection I'll never get back. My stuff. No, I did not steal the hubcaps. <laughs> That's an excellent thought, though. I'll be more careful about how I broadcast that from now forward. Hey, that guy got my hubcaps. But Karen and I, conversely to my own experience growing up, we've lived all over the place. In fact, I, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you how many times we've moved. At last count, I believe it was 19. And I, yeah, Rick says that's nothing, man. That's nothing. We're not even approaching the size more. 
uh, moving rate, man. I mean, people have joked with us. Y'all should just, you should just own a, a moving van. Just drive that, you know? Just load up and go, man. Get a mobile home, right? Get a motor home or something like that. Don't think we hadn't thought about that. But here's my point. And, and I'm for houses, by the way. In fact, right now we live in a really nice house. And thank God for it. Probably not for very much longer, but. But the truth is, and I, I feel like you can ask Isaac and Jacob if this is true, but I feel like that they've had a really good home. By, by grace. And by the greatness of God and His faithfulness to us, I feel like that they can say to you that they've had a really good home. It's not about the houses. It's, it's about the home. And in fact, just regardless of the sort of house you live in or we've lived in, we've been blessed to have a beautiful home. And in fact, in the world we live in, and this is a little disturbing, and I won't spend too much time here, but you know this is true, and I'll relate it back to the church in just a second, but in our world, so much emphasis has been put on the house. Sometimes. At the expense of the quality of the home. In fact, sometimes we've sacrificed our home in order to have a really great house. Man, I've been out to the Pates house, which is a really cool house. It's an old farmhouse. It's kind of epic and cool. But that's not what makes it a home. Now, don't hear me wrongly. If somebody's trying to hear me wrong right now, it's just not my fault. you got a stronghold about what I'm saying. Listen, I'm not against nice houses. I like nice houses. I'm glad you got a great house. Many of you do, and I'm thankful for that. What I'm more thankful for, and this is what I'm trying to say, is that you have an incredible home. There's some incredible homes in this church. And just another little aside, I guess I'm full of asides today. The house you have is a blessing from the Lord and meant to be used for His service. You don't have to apologize for that. Be thankful for it. Be thankful for it. It's a gift from God. Use it for the family of God. That's what you do. So please don't take off any guilt about having a great house. But we are made to have awesome, epic God homes. And the church too. Listen, I'm the guy around here that wants to, you know, I want to get a new front on the church. And I think we should have one. And I want to finish the cafe. I mean, I really want to finish the cafe. But none of that matters as much to me as the home that this church is for so many people. Now I'd like to build a house, you know. I think we can and I think we will. I believe we should. But, but we don't come here because of the building. We come here because of the opportunity to relate to the Father, as in the case of a home, and with each other as His sons and His daughters. And I want you to be at home. I want you to be at home in God's house. Here's the take-home point. The Father never intended for the church to be merely a house, but His heart has always been that the church would be a home. A place where, again, His sons and daughters could safely relate to the Father and to one another, where we as the family of God would be able to learn and laugh and cry and care, right? And love and grow. And I know I sound a little bit like a greeting card just now, but if we could get to that place in this place where this was such a safe place, where everybody could be free and ready to go live like we are, I think the father of the house would be very blessed because I know that's what he built his house for where we could care about what he cares about and be about what he is about 
that's the church and that's a home. And I want to challenge us today in a couple of ways. One, I hope that the place where you live will be a house. That is a home, whatever that is, the place that you interact with people, that apartment or wherever that place is that you stay. But also that today in each of us, we would know that with God, we always, man, I wish we could get this through right now, Lord Jesus. Don't let them stop listening for a second. Lord, don't let their listening be dependent on my ability to engage them. But God, speak past that right now. My hope today is that each of us would know that with God, we always have a home. Lord, if anybody feels homeless today. uh, Do you feel that pathos right there from the Father right now? He doesn't want anyone to feel homeless. We speak of being orphaned. And God's heart isn't for us to be orphans. Today, actually, I, I don't. I, I want not so much to talk about. Uh, I'm going to relate some things to my own earthly home, um, but not as much even relating to my earthly father. I mean, my dad was a good man, and I'm thankful for him. Honestly, I love my dad. I miss my dad. My dad went to be with Jesus almost four years ago. However, the truth is, he didn't know much about being a godly father. Now, I was as I said about Robbie earlier. I was blessed, even from a very young age, honestly, to have a lot of fathers in my house. And God used a lot of who my dad was. I wasn't fatherless by any stretch. I had a dad who loved me and who, the best that he could, loved God. But still, I had lots of fathers in the faith who impacted me significantly and deeply. But really what I want to talk about today, primarily, uh, is not so much my relationship with my father, but the relationship with the home. And our house was interesting, too. I don't know what house you grew up in. And again, Isaac and Jacob will have to just take a list. And they'll just have, yeah, we grew up. They'll be like that old uh, Johnny Cash song, you know, where he sings about putting a bunch of cars together from the factory. It was uh, 61, 62, 63, 64. And never mind. <laughs> I'm having fun for myself right there. I grew up in a 1962 Jim Walter built. It was like a pre-built, prefabbed 1962 Jim Walter home that my parents get this paid $7,500 for I mean, that's how much our house cost. It cost $7,500. But by the grace of God, our home was priceless. And I want to say just a few things that we learned in our home that I think we learn in this home too. Number one, we learned that we belonged. 1 John 3, 1, John said this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. To relate to the Father and to one another and to live together, that's, that's to belong, to know that that you belong. And, and we had that sense of belonging in the home I grew up in. Again, my dad had a lot to learn about relating and about being a father, but my mom came from a really strong history of close family. My dad's family was primarily dysfunctional. I say that to you so that you can understand the redemptive way that God works, even when things in the house aren't perfect, God, by grace, can still make a home. Has anyone done everything right, just out of curiosity? Has anyone got a perfect history and complete knowledge and everything that it takes to be a mom and a dad and have a godly home or to interact with the people that you live with now, wherever it is that you live, and do what you do? Is anyone perfect in that? No! And yet, somehow, by great grace, God took our house and He made it a, he made it a home. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite memories about growing up was that we didn't have central heat or air. In fact, we just didn't have air. I mean, we had air to breathe, but we didn't have any pre-chilled air. 
And I'm just going to be honest with you. Growing up in north central Arkansas in the summer, I mean, I was just there. I'm not climatized for that, by the way. I mean, we suffered profoundly. Uh, when people say here that we have humidity, I laugh. I scoff. I did military training in Louisiana. Okay? You look outside and sweat. We didn't have air and we didn't have central heat. We had a wood-burning stove. And we cut wood all winter long, right? But the cool thing about that, literally cool, was that every evening, I mean, there was, you, you did one thing in your bedroom during the winter and that was sleep. And the rest of the time, you were in that living room where that wood-burning stove was. In fact, mom and dad would close the rest of the doors except leave the bathroom door open because if you didn't leave the bathroom door open, the water in the toilet would freeze, which is a dilemma. And in fact, when it would get incredibly cold, mom had a concoction that she mixed, which was essentially homemade antifreeze to put in the toilet so the bowl didn't bust. True story. It wasn't the greatest house ever. When the wind blew, you knew it. Because you could feel it. There's a reason it cost $7,500. But it was a home. Man, we'd get around that wood burning fire, that, that stove, and it was just, I mean, there w- it was mandatory family time. Unless you wanted to freeze. Everybody had 40 quilts, but it's just not much fun to hang out forever. You know? But it was beautiful. It was time together. It was a place where, where you felt like you belonged. And I'm not saying that every relationship we had or all the interactions I had with my brother who's four years older than me, that those were always good. But there was a place where we as family... You know, one of the things I love most about dwelling place, and I don't want to make this just about dwelling place because we're not the only home. I like, I like the heart of the elders from the beginning in this church. We're not the dwelling place. Because <laughs> there are a lot of dwelling places. Maybe not necessarily named dwelling place, but lots of dwelling places. Spot on, guys. But this is a dwelling place of men and women who love to interact with each other and the Father. And one of the things I love is that there's ample opportunity to connect. I want to say to you today, if you're not connected, get connected. This, as I often say, is not meant to be a Sunday sabbatical from the real world. That's not what, unless you're just looking for a house. But if you're looking for a home, connect and interact. The last three weeks, Rick has spoken about relationship. That that relationship that we have with God and with each other is so critical. And there's in that this sense of belonging. And as we grow, even in relationship with God, that shifts and changes too. It's a beautiful thing to belong. And in that sense and safety of belonging, we grow into being the sons and daughters, the priests and kings, the people of God. And of destiny that impact the world. We're meant to grow too, by the way. And we did a lot of growing around that wood burning stove. And then the conversations we had. And the conversation shifted over the years. I can tell you that when we were little, the conversations, if, if they were deep, I don't remember it. And in fact, they may have been a lot about sharing and, you know, not and all the different things that kids, or who's going, you know, we had three channels. So it was a little easier to pick than it is now. But there was still, man, who got done first with dinner and, could, you know, I'm going to watch Wild Wild World of Animals. My sister Mary Jane wanted to watch a rerun of Happy Days. Okay, it wasn't a rerun then, probably. But as we grew, the conversation shifted. We started to talk about more meaningful things. Conversations and interactions. And if 
My sisters were involved in it. We were involved in it too. And if my brother was doing it or if I was doing it, the whole family was involved. When I, when I had my first date, I sat in front of a, a box fan with my sister in the summertime. And she, because we didn't have a hair dryer. And I had a lot of hair back then. And I sat in front of that box fan while my sister took a big tooth comb and feathered my hair so I could look like Sean Cassidy. <laughs> took a $5 bill and stuck it in my pocket because we were family. And that was our home. And God wants that for us here too. I'm challenging you today, church, that if you're not involved with each other in that way, let's get involved with each other in that way. Isn't that what the church is supposed to be like? I have a friend that was just was chatting this, this week. And he was saying he just got he has uh, two small children and one of his kids he's a lot younger than me obviously and one of his kids is in the three year old range his son and his wife and slightly older toddler daughter were doing something together and so he said he was really excited because it was just going to be him it was going to be daddy son time and he was just excited about getting to spend some quality time with his son and he. He said they got in the car, they were just going to go to the park, and he put him in the car seat, you know, in the back, and, and they started to drive, and he was just thinking, this is so cool, I love being a dad, I get to spend some time with my son, and then he said his son was like, you know, uh, trying to get him to hand him something, and so he handed that to him, and then he wanted something to eat, so he got that for him, and he said he was just trying to interact with him and, and drive and stuff, and he, he said he, you know, and his son was having fun, and that was good, and he was glad, and it was special. But he said even as he was driving and he was looking in the rear view and he was seeing the eyes of his son and he thought, you know, son, one day you're going to grow up and I'll get to tell you what's in my heart for you. And we'll get to talk about the things that matter in life. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, see, that's what I long for, for my children too. Is that when we have that sense of belonging and we grow in relationship with our Father. And, and we start out sometimes a little bit, you know, I mean, our conversations originally around the wood-burning stove were not so deep. They were still important. But then as we grew and we grow and the conversation grows and the, the depth of that interaction and relationship grows and, and, and I treasure that right now. I mean, Jacob and I just spent a significant amount of time together these last three weeks and, and we drove all over the, the world. Uh, a, a former student of ours gave Jacob a truck in Houston, Texas. So we went to Texas and picked up this... And we were just driving and, and we're talking and... And interacting and and I think about those days. I remember when he was little and he was sitting in the back seat and we went through McDonald's and him and Isaac both got the same toy in their Happy Meal and Jacob wasn't happy. I remember those days. I remember one particular day that I said, okay, you're not happy. We were at a traffic light. So I took the toy out of the Happy Meal and I set it outside my door and I backed up over it. And then I pulled back up and I said, now it's different. And he never complained about a Happy Meal toy again. And he still remembers it. He has a very thankful heart. And though our conversations have shifted, our closeness has only increased. And we're blessed. Because we have a home and a sense of belonging and it starts with God. For you did not, he said, receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We belong. And we learned a lot in our house about, I said belonging, we learned a lot about sharing. There was a lot about sharing. 
in our house. In fact, we had this rule in our house when I was growing up. I'm the youngest of five that nobody owned anything. Ownership really wasn't an option when we were kids. I mean, it, someone might, you know, if it was their gift at Christmas, that, that might have been their gift. But when my brother got something cool, I was happy. Because I knew I got to play with it too. Because there was no ask if you can play with it. It didn't work that way in our home. It was, if he wasn't playing with it, then I could play with it. And my mom, whoo, she had eyes for that too, man. And if, it, if you weren't a steward of it and willing to share it, then you didn't have it anymore. Not in my house, man. We learned about, we learned about sharing, Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask? We have been blessed in the family of God, and we have much. But look at the disciples' response to what God had given in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Just a little sidestep there for a second. The deep south, man. That's a lot of fried food. Seriously, I gained 12 pounds in my three weeks away. They break bread a lot. (laughs) That had nothing to do with anything. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. And look at this, and had all things in common. You know, sometimes we think that that just doesn't apply. It says that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all of us, and as many as had need. And check this out. And day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the other people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's how the lost get found. That's how the kingdom grows. Is when we learn how to share. When the house becomes a home. And we don't own anything. When it's all His. We're stewards of it. Okay, we our name's on it. But we don't own it. It's all available. Available. <laughs> I get back in the kid talk. It's all available to you, Jesus. You can have it. It's all available to him. It, we, I, I'd said a few, I had this epiphany a few months ago in this church. I was speaking about ownership. And I asked the question. I said, I walked this way. I remember it because it impacted me. A lot of times when I'm preaching, man, it's like, Wah! and I, because this wasn't in my notes. And I said, here's the question, church. Do you own it or does it own you? And then I heard the Lord whisper, neither. So I spun around and I said, neither. He owns it all. We're just stewards. And in a home. If I to share. I love the food bank. I love the food bank. Mother Teresa once said, Calcutta is everywhere. Not just in India. I'm thankful for the food bank. I'm thankful for the way that you give so that we can give. But our resource goes so far beyond what we can do through the food bank or what we can give in the offering. 
sharing. You didn't think you were going to come hear a word on sharing. That was for DP kids. We are DP kids. The sadness is when we don't know that, we become like the older prodigal son who lived at home. And then when the father blessed his other brother, he was offended. When someone else is blessed, honestly, are you offended or happy for them? And the father said, I, all I have is yours. The keys to the kingdom. In our home, we learned about serving. Whew. Now, I, Jesus gets the props for this. I have to tell you, he used Mary Bernard a lot. And I know this is Father's Day. And again, I love my dad. And my dad backed my mama up. But my mama, oh, 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 man, when it came to serving. And Robbie, we had, the family dinner table was big in our house. And again, I'm not trying to put any law on anybody. Mine and Karen's family dinner table. And she said yesterday, you know, I wish we'd done that better. And maybe I wish we should have. But our kids, we have had epic family meals together. We often laugh our food right out of our plates, okay? I mean, we, we have hilarious, hilarious times over And at this point, I mean, the boys are 21 and 22, so every day that they're around when there's food to be served is a a grace from God and a a slightly more elevated um, grocery bill, nonetheless. But at our house, we had a table, and we only had four chairs. And it was probably about the right size for four, but... But we had seven of us, and even for a season, we had my grandma living with us too. But So we had a wooden bench against the wall over here. Right here was a wooden bench, and the table was there. And, and so Dad sat here, and my mom sat there, and Mary Jane sat here. And nobody didn't mess with Mary Jane's chair. At my oldest sister, uh, Mary Jane was Down syndrome, for those of you who don't know, before she went to be with Jesus. And so she sat in that chair. And then there was a chair here. Now, all the other four of us, we wanted to sit in that chair. Now, I'm the youngest of five. Okay, you do the math. Man, that chair was just a dream for me. Look at that chair over there, though. That's a good spot. But there was a deal with that chair. Because it was difficult to get out if you were sitting on the bench. Just didn't, it didn't have as easy access to everything. And so if you sat in that chair, this was what my mom called it. That's the serving chair. So you can sit in that chair. It's the best chair. But if you sit in that chair, anybody needs ketchup out the fridge, you go get it. Somebody runs out of water, you go get their water for them. It was the serving chair. In our home, we not to serve. Isn't that beautiful? Matthew twenty twenty six through 28, shall not be so among you. We're speaking of the Pharisaical uh, sort of ruling over authority. He said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. More to say about that. I'll let it go for now. I think you get the point. There are servants in this house too. We are ridiculously blessed and and that willingness to serve is what makes this house a home. There's a bit more to be done, church. And there's plenty of room. Just an FYI, where did I sit? I sat right next to Dad. 
mostly nobody else wanted to sit right next to Dad. There was a reason for that, because Dad, Dad would always be eating. And I don't know, you know, he mixed up a pretty good plate of food, but invariably, no matter what I put on my plate, he would eat his for a while, and then he would look at mine, and he would decide that looked good too. And he would, he would always eat something off my plate. Feel so honored by that. And lastly, in a home, we learn to work together. I know that's similar to what I've already said, but we we learn to work together. We had a garden. Mark, we had we only had two and a half acres. We didn't exactly have a farm. You don't really call two and a half acres a farm. But that seventy five hundred dollar home that was just thrown in for free, I guess. And we had a two we had two and a half acres of property. And my dad decided to turn half of that, a good half of that, into a garden. But it was rocky dirt. I mean, it was rocky when we bought that piece of property. And, of course, I was a little bitty dude. But even by the time I'm old enough to remember, we were always, Neil's, we were always pulling rocks out of that out of that dirt. Till by the time I was probably near 10 years old, we pretty much had that done. But every year when Dad would go borrow my uncle's uh, John Deere B tractor, that was the one with the tricycle wheel. I'm giving you guys an education in deep south agriculture, and you can go Google that if you want to know what a John Deere tractor is, okay? But he would go borrow my uncle's tractor, and he'd plow that dirt, and we'd pick up rocks, and we'd pull out Bermuda grass, and eventually, though, it became a beautiful... I mean, the first few years that there was a garden there, it wasn't much good, just to be honest. It didn't grow real well. But by the time I was a teenager, it was an epic garden. We, we had about a third of an acre of tomatoes and long rows of corn, and I hated cutting okra. It itches. I know, again, most of you don't have to know that. But when you cut okra, and it, it gets ripe at different rates, so you have to cut it every day. But we work together. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, to his disciples, he said, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his field, his harvest. The church is meant to be a home, a place where the family of God lives life together, interacting with the Father. It's not a house, it's not a building made with hands. But it's a home of human hearts. And it's a place we learn. It's a place we belong. A place we share and serve. Man, when, you know, my dad didn't love us because we did all those things. He just loved us. My dad was that kind of guy. He would say, hey, Tud. I don't know what that means, but he used to call me that. Hey, Tud, if you call me that, I'm going to be very upset with you. Misty. Don't even go there. But the sense of family in that family 
You say, well, maybe, maybe there's someone here and I don't want to put a heaviness on you. I didn't have that kind of family. You do now. Our family wasn't perfect too. I don't know how many other ways to say that. But there was still a lot to learn together. And by God's grace, we did. You know, God's had, had me pray in a different prayer lately. It's Father's Day. This was definitely a son, son's prayer to pray to his father. But lately, my heart has been, you know, because for a long time, I pray, God, what do you want us to do? Or, God, what do you need done today? Or that kind of thing. I think that's a good prayer. I do. I think that's a good prayer. But lately, my prayer has been this. God, what can we do for you? Which reminded me of what our big brother Jesus said when he said, Not my will, but yours be done.